It's a privilege to stand before you again and to bring the word of God. I was just standing there and I was thinking, I probably preached well over a thousand messages in my life. I've lost count. I don't even know how many. And yet whenever I come to minister and I stand before people, there's always a sense of nervousness. Even though I do it all the time. And the nervousness is not because of you. It's because I want to make sure that I'm bringing something from the Lord that He really wants to give you. And so there's a real sense of uh, responsibility that I carry every time that I come to stand before people and to bring the Word of God to them. Because I know that this is a matter of life and death for people. And uh, that this is the Word of the Creator, the, the God who sits on the throne in heaven, and a God who loves us with a love that goes beyond our comprehension. Uh, we could put it this way, it's a strong love. God's love for us is strong. It's stronger than the love of a father for his child or a mother for her child. That's the kind of love that God has for us. And it's because of that love that he has for us that he deals with us the way that he does. I was thinking as I was standing there, just how good God is being to us in this nation. You know, we may be facing difficulties. We may be facing many trials and struggles. Every day we wake up and there are challenges that we are constantly facing. And many other parts of the world, they don't face those challenges. And sometimes we may wonder why. And we may get a bit heavy and, you know, the burden is weighing on our shoulders where every day there's this new challenges. We have to be constantly making a plan because things are changing constantly. But I was thinking, if it wasn't for that, I wonder how many people would have been standing on Harari Drive yesterday. You see, God, His love for us is so strong that He deals with us in ways that are going to move us into places where he can bless us, where he can reveal himself to us, where he can lift us into his presence, and where all the eternal purposes and blessings and plans that he has for our lives will come to pass. And so we need to be thankful for the way God is dealing with us, the way he's dealing with this nation. When I look at what he's doing, I sense God's hand upon us. You know, Scripture talks about the fact that God, one of the ways that God judges people is, you know what he does? He just says, all right, go and do it. Go your own way. Reap the consequences. You know, we see this in Romans 1 where the Paul says, God gave people up. He gave them up to sexual immorality. He gave them up to homosexuality. He gave them over to a depraved mind. You know, if God gives us up, we're in big trouble. But what I sense he's doing with this nation is he's actually placed his hand on us. And he is not allowing us just to go our own way. There's an element of discipline that he's bringing upon us. And that discipline is to bring us into a place where we will be in His will, in His blessings, where we will know Him. 
I think it was Charles Spurgeon, he said, it seems to me that man thrives under difficult circumstances far better than he does under nice, easy, comfortable circumstances. There's something about pressure, there's something about trials that actually makes us stronger and causes us to become something we would never be without those situations. And so, you know, we've got so much to be thankful for. God is dealing with us because he's drawing us to himself. And every time we feel that pain, every time we face that challenge, and we think, why? Why do I have to go through this? Just remember that God is doing something in us. He is perfecting us. He is bringing us into an eternal blessing, into eternal pleasures, that at the end of it all, we're gonna stand before him and say, thank you, you were merciful in the way you dealt with us. How many of you have um, ever looked at Jeremiah where Well, you've heard this phrase. It says, the Lord says, I know I have the plans for you. The plans that I have for you. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. How many of you have heard that? How many of you have quoted it? (laughs) I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future and prosper you and not harm you. Thank you. Do you know that when the Lord spoke those words, do you know he spoke them through the prophet Jeremiah? Do you know what Israel was about to go through? You know, we look at that little verse at the end and we quote it, God has got plans for us, plans not to harm us, plans to prosper us. Do you know that they were about to begin 70 years in exile? And God spoke that word to them when they were about to head into one of the most difficult times in the history of Israel. And he said to them, you're going to be in this land 70 years and you're not coming back here for 70 years. You're going to be captives in a foreign land for 70 years. And then he says, but I know the plans I have for you. And you know that that's what God is doing with us as a nation. We're going through this, this, this valley. We're going through this place where there is dry bones. But God knows the plans that he has for us. And his plans are to give us a hope, to give us a future, not to harm us, but to prosper us. He's got an eternal perspective on everything that is happening. And I believe that if we can keep that in our minds and realize that God is drawing us to himself, I tell you, it will change the way we view things. There were two churches, and I'm just speaking a bit here. I hadn't planned to say this. I'm just saying what I sensed the Lord showing me as we were worshiping today. There are two churches in the book of Revelation uh, that the Lord Jesus speaks to. There's actually seven, but there's two that I want to talk about. There's the first one, which is a church that was in poverty. Should we have a look at this? Do you want to have a look at the Bible? Just go to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. This is a church which is in Smyrna 
And these are the words of the Lord Jesus that he says to this church. He says, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, I just want you to notice these words here. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. So when people looked at this church, what did they see? They saw afflictions. They saw poverty. This church was going through difficult times. This church was being persecuted. And it was going to continue. The persecution wasn't about to end. But the Lord says, I know what you're going through. And then he says, even though you're in poverty and you're suffering affliction and the world may despise you, you are rich. Now let's just go over a page to chapter 3. And here is the seventh church that the Lord sends a message to. It's the church in Laodicea. And I want to just you to hear what he says to this church. Let's start in verse 14, Revelation 3 verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Two churches in the same generation. But here is one church that's suffering affliction. One church that has poverty. And yet the Lord says, you are rich. Here's another church that is saying, we are rich. We have no need of anything. We've acquired wealth. Everything's going well for us. And the Lord says to them, you do not realize that I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You do not realize that you are wretched, that you're pitiful, that you're blind, that you're naked, and that you're poor. You see, the way that we as humans look at our circumstances is very different to the way God looks at them. When God looks at us, He's looking at what we have with Him. What do we have in our hearts when it comes and pertains to the things of God? That's what true riches are. What do we have in heaven? You see, everything in this life is going to come to an end. Everything we have here is temporary. It's passing away. The more every year that goes past and I get older, the more I realize how short this life really is. Our relationship with God is what really counts. That's what's going to account for eternity. People ask me to try and describe to them what eternity is like. 
It's a difficult thing to describe, but this is what I've, I've come to use. If you can imagine all the waters of the oceans, every ocean, Atlantic, Pacific, the Indian Ocean, the, 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 every bit of water that, that is in the oceans on this earth, and you were to take one drop of water, just a little drop, and put it on the tip of your finger, that would represent this life, and the oceans would represent eternity. What God is concerned about, He's not as concerned about the little drop as He is about the ocean. What Jesus came to give us was not just a slightly sweeter drop. He came to give us the ocean. He came so that we might not perish, but that we might have eternal life. And so everything that God is doing is dealing with us, bringing us to the place where we will be able to inherit that life. Where we will be able to lay hold of what God has in store for us. The plans that he has for us. To what? Give us a hope and a future to prosper us. What is he talking about there? It's not just about this life. He's talking about the eternal life that he's prepared for us. The new heaven and the new earth. That will be the home of righteousness. With this in mind, I really believe that God wants to challenge us again. Just on, based on what Craig was talking about last week. How many of you were here last week? How many of you that weren't here managed to get the message that Craig preached on the, the audio, on the WhatsApp? If you didn't, I encourage you to get it. Because there were so many things that Craig shared there. So there was like nuggets of gold that Craig was giving last week. And I felt that as a church, maybe we didn't quite get it. Maybe we didn't quite embrace it the way we should have. Because it's easy for us to come to church and hear a message, but not really get it. You know, it comes in one ear, but it doesn't really get into through these ears, the ears of our hearts. And so as I was preparing this week, I just, I felt the Lord. In fact, it was when I woke up one morning, he just put it in my heart just to build on what Craig said. And so even what I've been sharing here is all just to help us to realize the importance that God places on bringing us towards himself. That there is nothing in our lives that stands between us and him. Nothing that is created that is more important to us than our relationship with God. And so I want to talk a little bit more on this. And don't worry, I'm not going to take hours. I can see some of you getting nervous and thinking, are there two messages here today? <laughs> it's all building into it. I, I just want to be led by the Lord. I want to give you something today. 1 John 5.21 1 John 5.21 says this. You don't have to turn there. It says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. The church in Laodicea, they had all this material possession. They had the success. Life was going well for them. And yet the Lord said they were poor, blind, wretched, pitiful, naked. He said they were lukewarm. They were not hot. They were not cold. He said, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. 
you know that the Lord doesn't want any of us to be like that. And I believe that God's dealings with us, everything that he's doing in our lives right now, we may be feeling in some ways that God is stripping things away from us. I feel like that at times. I feel like things that I've trusted and things that I've loved, things that I've cherished so closely, just are being stripped away from me. And I've, I've looked at my life and as I've looked to the future, I've realized that ultimately, everything that I've loved in this life is gonna be stripped away from me. You know, I think about my parents and I realize the day is gonna come when I will say goodbye to them, for a season at least. I realize that the day is going to come when my marriage is going to end because it's until death does us part. Marriage is not eternal. It's only for a short time. And so I realize that everything in this life is going to come to an end. That car that I might cherish today, one day I will sell it. One day it will not be what I cherish anymore. This is what the nature of this life is. And what I see as I look at it, I realize that naked we came into this world and naked we depart. There's nothing that we have, nothing physical, material, that we are going to remain with. It's all going to be stripped away. And so you may be going through this time and you may be feeling that God is stripping things away or circumstances are stripping things away from you. Do you know what God wants to do? He wants to take everything away from us that we trust in, that will come between us and Him. Do you know that He did this to Israel? You know, Israel began to trust in things, different gods, different idols. You know what the Lord did? He said, okay, I'm going to remove those idols from you. And when he removed them, what did they have? If God was to remove every single thing that we have, what would we have? If we were to end up in prison, what would we have? That's right. It's what we have with God that really matters. It's our relationship with him. That is the most important relationship any human being can have. I remember saying to my daughter when she was just at, at the end of high school and she was being tempted, she was being, uh, there, were, there were friends that were not having a good influence on her. And I said to her, do you realize that in a few years time, those people may not even be in your life because you're going to split up, they may go in other places in the world. Are you gonna sacrifice your relationship with the Lord just to have a friendship with them? What's more important? You see, at times we lose perspective. We don't have the perspective of things that is a, a true and proper perspective. And when we talk about idols, as Craig was doing last week, you know what idols are? They are things that we take and we put them, as just as Craig said, we put them into a place where we think that this is going to be the solution. This is the answer. There's only one solution and answer, and that is the Lord himself. Do you know that the answer to this nation's plight is a turning back to God? There is no other way. And I believe that God is 
speaking, he's shouting in every way that he can. He's trying to get the attention of the people of this nation and say to them, if you do not turn to me, you will not see life. God is, he's using physical things. He takes physical things from us because that's a good way to get our attention. But why is he doing it? It's not because he hates us. It's not because he's against us. It's actually because he's for us. He doesn't want us to have a false sense of security like the church in Laodicea had. So here's John. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Do you know that we can have idols in our hearts? I think Craig mentioned this last week. In Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 1 to 4, let me just see if I can find it on here. I'm just going to go through this. You can read it up there. It says, Some of the elders of Israel came to Ezekiel and sat down in front of him. And then the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel saying, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? So when we're talking about idols, as Craig mentioned last week, idols are not necessarily something that we put up in our, our home and bow down and worship like this. They can be things right here. So here is a group of the elders of Israel that come and sit down before the prophet Ezekiel. They're wanting to inquire of God. They're wanting to get God's word. They're wanting to have direction. And this is what the Lord says. He says they've set up idols in their hearts. Let's just have a quick look at what some of these idols can be. What about money? Do you think that money can be an idol? Matthew 6.24, this is what the Lord said. He said, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That means we have to make a choice. Who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve money? You know, a good way to tell whether we're serving money or serving God is this. Are we willing to go through with an unrighteous deal to get money? Are we willing and prepared to do something that we know is not pleasing to the Lord or not in keeping with His will so that we can get money? You see, if that's what we're doing, then what that means is that money has actually become more important to us than our relationship with God. And you know that as believers, sometimes we may have to suffer loss for the sake of righteousness. But do we have money as an idol in our hearts? Are we worshiping it? It may not just be money that we have, it might be the desire to have money. You know, someone who doesn't have a cent can be worshiping it. Someone who is poor can actually be worshiping money. 
Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, this is what Paul writes. He says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It might be wealth that we have. People may have wealth. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6.17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Notice what he says there. If you have riches, don't be proud about it and don't set your hope on it. Don't look to those things as if they are the source of your life, as if they are the, the, your security. Look to God who actually gave it to you in the first place. So money can be an idol that we set up in our hearts. I believe God wants us as a people to hold everything that we have so loosely, to hold it with an open palm, Everything that we have belongs to him anyway. We're just stewards of it. We belong to him. So if we belong to him, everything we have belongs to him. Let him be the most important thing in our lives. Let our relationship with God be the most important thing in our lives. If we have to sacrifice our relationship for anything, don't do it. Leave the thing. Make sure that God is what you're holding on to. And let's think about it. I mean, if we have God, we have everything. If we have Him, what do we lack? I mean, He's the creator. He's the sustainer of life. Everything that we have comes from Him. Every breath we take comes from Him. The food that we eat comes from Him. The clothes that we're wearing come from Him. We're even standing on the earth that he made. He's the one who gives us life and breath and everything else. And yet, it seems like Satan can so blind our minds to thinking that our life comes from what we have. It comes from the things we possess. I tell you, it doesn't. It comes from God. We can be in a prison. We can be in a place where we hold nothing. And yet we can be rich. I, I say to people, if you were to be sent to a place where you had nothing, let's say prison, do you realize that you would, you would have something to give other people? Because of the knowledge you have of God? What about food and drink? Do you know that food and drink can become an idol in our lives? Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. I remind myself of this all the time. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. Well, I don't want my belly to be my God. I want the one who gives me food to be my God not the food that he gives. What about our comforts? Our comforts. This is a challenge, isn't it? This is a challenge to me because I'm often leaving the comforts of my home and going places where I, maybe I'm not so comfortable. 
and it can be difficult at times. But this is what the Lord said in Matthew 10, 38. He says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. When we talk about taking a cross, we're not, we're not taking something that's comfortable. To take up a cross means we're laying down our comforts. We're picking up things that are actually going to be painful for us. But are we willing to do that for the Lord? He was willing to do it for us. What about pleasure? 2 Timothy 3, 4, Paul speaks about a generation that he says they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. My prayer is that no one in this church would fall into that category. That we would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Seekers of pleasure instead of seekers of God. You know, we live in this generation today. Today, if church is not entertaining, people don't want to come to church. People don't want to come to prayer meetings because prayer meetings are not fun. You know, we'd rather go and do something that's fun than get on our knees before God and say, Lord, I want you. I want you in my life. I want to know you. I want to walk in your ways. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. It's so easy for us to be caught up in this generation that just seeks and loves pleasure. You know, we turn on that television and we sit for two, three hours at night watching the television. We turn it off and we go to bed. At the end of our lives, we've spent all that time. What have we accomplished? What have we gained? But how often will we pick up the word of God? You know, I challenge myself. I can sit and watch a rugby game for one and a half, two hours without even feeling the time. But when it comes to prayer, mm, two hours. <laughs> you telling me to pray for two hours? You see, it's so easy for us. Our flesh loves pleasure. But you know what our spirit wants? Our spirit wants the things that come from God. What are we going to feed? We're going to feed our, what our flesh wants? That leads to destruction. Or are we going to feed what our spirit craves, which leads to life? Well, the next one, what about the praise of people? In John chapter 12, verse 42 to 43, the apostle John describes people in Jerusalem at the time of the Lord. And these people... They believed in Jesus. It says they believed in him, but for fear of being put out of the synagogue, they would not confess him. And then it says this, because they loved the praise of men rather than the praise of God. Who are we living for? Are we living for the praise of men or are we living for the praise of God? As a preacher, you know, this is something that we have to deal with all the time. Because we stand up here and we want people to like us. But you know, at times we've got to say things that maybe people won't like. And they might criticize us for saying. And we have to make a choice. Are we going to please people? Are we looking for the praise of people? Or are we looking for the praise that comes from God? What about people that we love? 
Look at Matthew 10, if you've got your Bibles. Matthew 10, 37. I want you just to see this. Is God challenging us this morning? Matthew 10, 37. These are the words of the Lord Jesus himself. And listen to what he says. He says, anyone. Just say anyone. Anyone. Does that include you? Does it include me? Anyone. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Those are strong words, aren't they? What is he saying? What is the Lord saying there? He's saying that he wants to be first in our lives. If there's any person who is more important to us than the Lord, do you realize that person's become an idol in our hearts? We love our father and mother, or at least I do. I love my children. I love my wife. But they cannot be more important to me than my God. And I tell my wife the same thing. I say to her, don't love me more than you love the Lord. He's got to be first in your life. And he uses this phrase here. He says, not worthy of me. I wonder why he would say it that way. Not worthy of me. Do you know what I see? This is what I see. Just think about how much he loves us. Did he love us enough to leave his father? He did. The Lord loved us more than he loved his own life. And so all he's saying is, this is the way I love you. If you don't love me like this in return, you're actually not really worth the love that I've shown towards you. What about ourselves? Do you know that we ourselves, I, me, my, can be an idol in our own hearts? We live in a generation that Paul spoke about. He said they will be lovers of self. You know, I go onto Facebook and that's what I see. I see a generation that is obsessed with themselves. Everyone is obsessed with themselves. Believe God wants us to be obsessed with Him. We must be, we must diminish, we must become less, He must become greater in our lives. This is certainly what I want. I don't want myself, my desires, my dreams, my aspirations, my will, my opinions to be an idol in my heart. And you know that today we live in this world that talks about your dreams. Follow your dreams. Our dreams can become an idol in our hearts. Sometimes we have to lay down our dreams and say to the Lord, Lord, I want your will. I want to do what you want me to do. We live in a world where people want to have a better life. Many of the most popular preachers today, what are they doing? They're writing books like Your Best Life Now, Seven Steps to a Better Life. 
The world is chasing this. Everything is about themselves. And we've forgotten that actually we're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We're called to walk in his steps. And where did he walk? He went in obedience to God to the cross and laid down his life. And right here in Matthew chapter 10, he actually says, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You see, it's as we give ourselves up and we lay down our desires and our dreams and our aspirations so that we can follow God and do His will. That's where we find where life really truly is. Eric Little, Chariots of Fire. How many of you watch Chariots of Fire? I think I watched it about five times. But Eric Little had a dream and his dream was to win an Olympic gold medal. Do you realize that he was willing to give up that dream to do what he believed would honor God? He was willing to sacrifice that dream, walk away from that dream in order to do what he believed God wanted him to do. Why? Because his relationship with God was more important to him than any gold medal he could win, any accolades he could get from men. God honored him for that. And we know the story, his dream actually came to pass. Some people, and I pray that I'm not amongst this, maybe at times I have been, where our opinions are more important to us than God. You know, I often talk to people and they, they say, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe the word of God. I believe what I want to believe. We place our opinions above the word of God. What about our rights? I'm just about to finish. What about our rights? Do you know we have rights? You know, I look at TV sometimes. I see in America, I see people standing there demanding their rights. You know, democratic rights. We have rights as people. And I want my right. But you know that at times we have to give up our rights in order to serve God? The Apostle Paul did this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me just put this up here. No, next. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. This is what Paul said. Paul said, I have not made use of this right. He was talking about the right for him to actually receive financial support from the churches. He said, I've not made use of this right. Why? He says, I would rather endure anything than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. What was Paul willing to do? He was willing to lay down his right, his, even his God-given right, in order to serve the purposes of God. Are we willing to do that or are our rights more important to us than our service and worship of God? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. Let me just read this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
People, let's allow God to have his rightful place in our lives. He loves us with an undying love, with a love that is so powerful and so strong that he's not willing to just let us go. He has got his hands on our lives and he is drawing us to himself. He wants us to know him. He wants us to have a relationship with him that is like no other relationship on the earth. He wants us to know him. And that's God's purpose and God's desire for us. That we would know the true and living God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Let's not sacrifice this kind of relationship with God for things that are going to end up being taken away from us. Let's not put our value and our treasure on things that are perishing with use. Let's not put our hope and our trust in things that are vanity, that cannot save us, that cannot protect us, that cannot even give us one more day of life. Let's put our hope and our trust in the living creator who has given us everything that we have who has promised to be with us, who has said that he will never leave or forsake us, that he will be with us to the very ends of the age. Let's be with the one who has promised us eternal life. Let's, let's put our hope and our trust in him. Let's live to please him. Let's live every breath, every bit of strength that we have. Let it be to do his will. Let's give him everything that we have because he gave us everything that he had. Let's love him in the way that he chose to love us. Let's love him with everything that we are. Remember the greatest command the Lord Jesus said is this, that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all our strength. That's what God seeks. That's the only thing that's going to satisfy his heart. Why? Because he, he loves us. You know, if I loved my wife with a love that was undying, and she didn't love me back the same way. I don't think it would be very nice. Thank God she does. But that's, this is all this is about. This is not God bringing these hard rules upon us. This is love actually reaching out to us and saying, I love you so much that I want you for myself. I don't want you to be distracted and running after others. That's why in the Bible, our relationship with God is referred to as marriage. It's likened to as marriage. That's why in the Bible, when people are worshiping idols and looking towards other things other than God, God says, you're adulterous. You see, God, God's heart towards us is such that he loves us to such a place that he wants everything we are. And he wants to give us everything he is can we understand this today? Can we receive this today? Let's stand to our feet. Let's just pray. Just lift your hands before our Father, before our God in heaven, who loves us, who cares for us, who was willing to give his son up for us. And let's just say, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the great love that you have had for us. That it is an undying love. That it is a love that will not let us go. Father, 
We want to respond to your love today. Open our hearts to understand just how much you love us. We want to be yours. Everything yours. 100% yours. So have us today. All of us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. Thank you for your patience and listening to me. God bless you.